right, everyone. Welcome back to the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Happy November 9th, a Wednesday evening, hump day. For those listening over overseas, I hope the future is going well for you guys. We'll be joining you here in a couple days. Um, shout out to Florida as they're hopefully uh, going to avoid uh, this other hurricane it's, that's uh, making landfall. I'm so sorry about that. Prayers are with you guys down there. And uh, the, coming to you one day after the midterms, as technically there are still a lot of results here in the United States that are still going on. I'm not going to talk about that specifically tonight. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to alienate as much as my of my tens of listeners as I as I want. But it does it certainly does play a role. So I, I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But it's it's a response to it as Christians and what I asked my church to do on Sunday to be praying. So um, those are some things. Um, a little tired tonight. We've had a full day, but I, I appreciate you bearing with us and uh, being open to these um, nighttime drops, uh, if you if you uh, want to describe it that way. Um, please continue to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, send any emails or comments, questions, concerns to wsnspodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so I challenged my, my church this past Sunday, you know, we went. We were going over the Lord's Prayer, and and we're going to break that up just before we get to Advent. And last week was the first part of the passage where Jesus talks about, hey, when you do these things, don't don't do it to make yourself look good because you've just received your reward in full. If you're only doing it for yourself, if you pray out loud and use a lot of words like the pagans, then you're only doing that for yourself. That's it. You're not doing it for God. And then. And when you, um, you know, when you uh, pray or when you go to bring, uh, like, it's just, it's a whole thing. It talks about motive. So motive is the setup. I guess that's where I want to want to get to. And then he goes into the Lord's Prayer. He says, and when you pray, pray like this. And the first few words, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's where I stopped, at least for the first the first week. I just wanted to focus on those things with, with the emphasis of the fact that, you know, uh, our Father in heaven, it's a separation. It's putting a title. God is God is is omnipresence, absolutely. He's in everything and he's created everything. But we, where does he emanate from? Heaven, where his presence is. And when we die, we go there, right? That's what we believe. So there's a separation because he is God, we are man. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I talked about Jews that they never wanted, they never uh, pronounce the the proper term for God because it's out of reverence. And I was thinking to our, myself, like, how many of us are so important that we don't pronounce our names? So again, it's putting more of a respect. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, kind of connecting the fact that. Jesus himself, even as he's teaching his disciples these things, he actually does that in the Garden of Gethsemane, which I think is the most beautiful part of Scripture is when Jesus, in his full humanity, asks the cup to be taken from him, but then is still willing to do God's will because that's what he came to do, is to do the will of his Father. And I think that's awesome because, again, Jesus was always willing to do what he, what he commanded others to do. He walked the walk. He talked the talk. He was never a hypocrite. He he was found blameless. He was the spotless lamb. And that's why his sacrifice was worthy. There's no condemnation um, brought against him. 
that he was ever deserving of. Perfect. And that's, for me, when I look at those those things, that's what uh, it reminds me of what we're here to do, to worship him. And the fact that we've been born at this time in this place, uh, for what purpose? What What is God's purpose for our lives? So I took that, just focusing on the fact that we're here again to serve our Father. And when we pray, like Jesus asked us to pray, this was, these were the themes in that. And then as far as application, I asked my church to be praying about um, a financial matter with some missionaries about wanting to give to a good cause. Uh, and then I also asked them to be praying um, about the election. And I said, we already have a cheat code because we know what's already going to happen. There's going to be people that are, just, that, is really, that are really upset. There's going to be people that are going to be really happy. And, and I said, once again, there's going to be these messages, these messages of, I uh, see democracy dying, or this is this is the beginning of the end, or this is terrible. I said we already know all that. So if you remember why we're here, if you remember that, doesn't mean that those things can't have an impact. I'm not saying that at all. I think there was a lot of consequential things that were that took place last night, regardless of of what you think about or where you stand on each side. Uh, for me, what I what I take hope and, and encourage in is, is, is Christians. Or if our joy comes from the Lord and our joy comes in the morning, it's because it's built upon something much greater than a system of government. And if you are feeling dejected, if you're angry today over what happened, if you're in the United States... I, I can understand you know, I'm on all sides. I, I can understand, but it, it's a it's a reminder that you know if if we think we're a Christian nation or if we think God's going to bless us or whatever, I, I I just don't see how how that could happen if we remain unrepentant as a nation. Because look at the amount of evil that the United States commits, and we're unrepentant of it, and. We look at what's happened with a lot of Christian leaders, or so-called leaders, the last couple of years, the fallen from grace, the cotton adultery, the scheming, the lying, the manipulations, the abuse, all throughout the church, and we remain relatively unrepentant, and uh, we feel ashamed, but we don't talk about it. We don't say, I'm sorry. So I think the church uh, should be the first people to be apologizing for their own sin, right? Asking for forgiveness and mercy. But we don't do that. And so what we're left with is just this end result. And, and, and this is where I came across this today. And I've read Hebrews chapter 10 plenty of times. But for some reason, these words just didn't leap off the page as they did today. So I'm going to read for you Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. This is from the NASB 1995. I'll read this for you. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, How, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God? And is regarded as unclean, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and was insulted and, and has insulted the spirit of grace. 
For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Phenomenal words in here. The first, first verse 26. For we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Basically, if, if you are... If you have come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus, whatever, and you continue to go on sinning willfully, you are basically making the sacrifice for sin worthless. You're not being covered. You're not receiving that mercy because you are just, in a way, and forgive the language language here, because I'm not using this as as we we would understand it as a cuss word, but you end up bastardizing the sacrifice of Christ when you spit in his face. So it's saying, verse 27, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fire of which uh, will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Basically saying, this is what the Torah law said. And then look at the fact that, like, and how much more of a severe punishment are you going to do when you spit in God's face? And you say that his blood was not good enough for, for sacrifice? Uh, yeah, you got another thing coming. Because if you remember, God said he will judge his people, and vengeance is his alone to dish out. Like, big gulp, right? Verse 32. But, but, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one, gift of God eternal life. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What an amazing message. But remember, back then, you guys have endured something, and you've done so understanding that with joy, in the joy, that the better possession awaits you, the endurance, the true test of the faith, you've revealed your true character, and that great reward is the gift of, uh, from God, eternal life. For you do have that endurance, because you will have done the will of God, and you will receive what is promised, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It is amazing. The writer of Hebrews, oftentimes attributed to Paul, but there's scholarly debate amongst that. What an amazing message for anyone feeling dejected tonight in the United States. What if, what if, okay, just, just bear with me here. Let me think some facts. We've killed how many millions of babies since Roe v. Wade is being passed, okay? Child sacrifice. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this very plainly. Abortion, as as described by the NIH, is a termination of pregnancy that results in the, in the ending of the life of the fetus. Okay? That is how it's described. So, abortion in of itself is not, when we talk about this, I'm using the clinical definition that our own healthcare providers use, which is the termination of the pregnancy and the termination of the child. Okay? It's not just saving the life of the mother and then trying to, you know, keep the child alive. No, that's not what abortion is described as, and that's not what it's being practiced, okay? So I'm referring to that because, mind you, I was born at 28 weeks, 
because my mom was a clampsick. So they had to take me. What they didn't do is abort me and then kill me. They had to terminate the pregnancy because they wanted to preserve the health of the mother. And then they had me. I'm talking to you today because they didn't kill me. So I have a little bit of credibility here. And so I, I, that's where people say, well, what about the life of the mother? Well, I'm not talking about that. So, but anyway, 68 million was how many kids have been aborted? So that, there you go. We have, we've started wars. We have raised coups in country. We, rig, we rig elections. We have invaded and spilled blood on hostile soils. We run the world's currency, at least we have for the longest time. We commit adultery. We have our own particular uh, uh, addictions and greed to pornography, um, to gambling, to money. All of the things that will that happen in any other empire at its zenith, at its most prosperous, that is our nation. And look at our churches, completely derelict of men and women in leadership that are so outspoken, that hold accountability. Look at the Catholic, Catholic and Protestant churches both. Look at the scandals. Look at what the Catholic Church did to, to cover up. Uh, the pedophile priests, right? Just shift them around. Don't worry about it. Uh, this is a bad PR problem, okay? That's the United States, right? And, well, and worldwide for, for most sometimes. But look at the Protestant. Look at the people. Like one of my role models, Ravi Zacharias. No accountability for him. So much hubris, so much pride. And look what he did. Prayed upon women and died seemingly unrepentant of that horrible, horrible behavior. Behavior. If celebrity pastors, you have to tell evangelists who talk about receiving their reward in full, yeah, you're not going to take that $70 million plane with you in your casket, but good luck. Maybe we can build one big enough for you. Like, you're preying upon the innocence, ignorance of other people. You, how much money? Billions of dollars given to them just so they can, you know, not use it for good things. Like, look, we got to start in the church. Like, that's how much sin, and we're largely unrepentant of it. We've been shamed into submission by their culture about what we've believed historically among gender identity, sexual identity, marriage. Uh, we should feel ashamed for it. And we just cower. We didn't meet during the pandemic for most of us because the government told us to. Not because it was a good or bad decision. We didn't do it because. We did it because the government said, no, you can't go to church. And we're like, okay. You know, I know I'm, I'm being, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but come on. We know that's kind of what happened. The government, do you really think we are that, you know, cognizant, all of our churches? As the government said, hey, don't worry about it. Just take these protocols. Would any churches have closed? Really? Really? Would they have? I, maybe some that have a population or a demographic as old as my church, you know. But they kept meeting because that's what we're called to do. There's mo there, obviously there's there's outliers there's motives we're praying about it but we allowed the government to tell us this so I mean come on we're, we're, who are we kidding here who are we kidding there's blood on our hands in this country and it remains unrepentant of course God's going to judge this nation so here's my question not putting not putting us as the protagonist in Scripture that's not what I want to do but there is but what there is is precedent we know that history rhymes sometimes it repeats itself. And the story of the Bible is how God interacts with humanity. We know that there's not one thing that the Bible leaves out in its description and prediction of the human nature and the human heart. It's, it's incredibly accurate. And we as humans, as, as creative as we think we are, we are not that creative after all. 
Nothing new under the sun, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, right? So with that being said, I'm wondering if just like the faithful remnant during the Babylonian exile and the conquering of Babylonians by Assyria in the Old Testament, you want to go back, you want to look at uh, like Second uh, Kings, I believe, uh, I'm just naming this off the top of my head, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai, you know, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding of the temple, bringing people back. There was times in, in, those, in those moments, especially during the reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, those kings of Israel, where, you know, the children of Israel were participating in child sacrifice, right? hello, uh, i.e. abortion, um, where God's people were doing these evil things, okay? And they didn't remain, they remained unrepentant. The people just went right along with them. And then boom, you get Josiah. They they repent, but they're still judged for that previous behavior. Well, what if we, if you think you're that this is over, maybe, maybe the, the country is on a on downslope after this. Maybe it is. But I mean, we've had a phenomenal run. And unlike the billions of people that have existed before us, they've never experienced this type of prosperity and wealth and you know, freedom of religion, freedom to, to worship without, without the government coming in and telling you you can't do it, uh, except until 2020, right? That, that's a really good run. Most Christians cannot relate to us at all. At all. And I'm wondering if now we're going to be asked to be part of the long sufferers, the forebearers, the people who are going to be the faithful remnant. What if the generations alive today in America could see its demise, okay? And we're called to keep that faith alive for the next generation, like our forefathers before us. May we be worthy of that if that's the case. Maybe we could finally make some Christians because we've made it very easy to be a Christian in this nation. Very easy. Uh, Michael Ramsden said once that we have a form of Christianity in the West that seems to ask for nothing, demand nothing, and cost nothing. It's one of the most brilliant quotes I've ever heard in my life. Demand nothing and cost nothing. Yeah. How true is that? But what makes that, what makes that the Christians who they are, forged in fire, baptized by fire, however you want to say it, is persecution. Not saying we're being persecuted in this nation. No, I'm not saying that at all by any means. But I am taught what I am talking about is that if you think for a second. God is going to turn his face just because we're America. He's not going to judge us or he's not going to allow a lot of these evil things that are going on in our country to judge us, to really hold up the mirror saying, this is how bad things have gotten and it's your fault. You have permitted this. So we're going to you know, shine this mirror, this cultural mirror back at you saying, this is how bad things have gotten. And we have Christians that are just okay with that too. Like, well, how far do we have to go before Christians agree on the fundamentals again? That's really a question I have. So I want this to be a wake-up call for the church, not because we didn't do our civic duty. It has nothing to do with that. I don't care who you, you voted for to a point last night because that's none of my business. I want you to surrender that to God. I want you to allow God to make those decisions for you. Whether you vote it or not vote. I'm out of that business. That's not me. I'm not one to use issue ultimatums. Who here's who you should vote for. Here's who uh, here's uh, you who you should vote for and why. And yeah, you should vote. I'm not. I'm not one to do that. I, I know there's other people that do that. That's just not my conviction. 
I want that to be a God decision because guess what? I'm, if I'm telling you something, I, I'm a flawed human. My motive could be right, but my judgment could be wrong in a matter. It's that simple. I could not see the entire picture and screw something up. These are all things that if we are so fixated upon saying, you know, we just needed this particular ruler in this country, or we just need this to go our way, and we're not beginning that conversation with God, getting down on our knees and saying, before we do anything else, uh, I'm sorry. I repent of my sins because I am a sinner and I'm in need of your mercy. I am not entitled to your grace. May your blood cover me. Please don't hide your face from me, Heavenly Father. That is where we start as a country, as a people in this country. If we don't do that, then we are kidding ourselves. If anything in your mind is good, no matter where you stand, left, right, center, anywhere in between or on the fringes, you are not going to be satisfied if you're a Christian. You're not going to see God's will come to fruition if we don't get down on our knees and repent. It's that simple. There's no precedent for it in the Bible. God does not reward sin with blessing. It might appear as things go unpunished, which might be a blessing. Mercy is what we call it. But it does not remain. It does not remain. And if we're called to suffer, may we be worthy of it. May we be worthy. May that come to Jesus moment actually wake us up to the reality of who and what we are serving. Is it ourselves or is it the Lord? Those are some heavy thoughts for you tonight. Stuff that I've been praying about and is clear as day to me. We don't have to agree on politics because ultimately all that stuff's not going to exist at the end of time. But I hope you, if we can agree on what we're here to do, why we're here to do it, and what ultimately matters. To God be the glory. May God bless you. May God keep you.